NASA has long relied on commercial industry for critical space communications and navigation services and support. Government-owned, contractor-operated infrastructure was fundamental to the success of the agency's earliest missions. Commercial partnerships have provided NASA with the workforce needed to operate a global network of ground stations, to upgrade and maintain their antennas, and to build the telecommunications satellites that support missions like the International Space Station. Today, in a paradigm shift that seeks to help nurture the U.S. space economy, NASA's Space Communications and Navigation Program, or SCAN, is embracing commercialization even further. NASA plans to rely primarily on industry-provided communication services for missions close to Earth by 2030. Rather than using government-owned relay satellites and ground stations, SCAN will work with private industry to furnish missions with comprehensive commercial network services. In order to make this bold objective a reality, NASA is fostering new entrants into the space communications marketplace. I'm Danny Baird. This is The Invisible Network. SCAN started uh, as a formal headquarters program in 2006. Um, you know, commercialization ha- has been part of our, our overall architecture, how we provide services to, to users uh, since the beginning. Our most recent decision that uh, we think um, measuring the market and, and where uh, people's technical capabilities are that, that we don't need to go build out necessarily NASA-owned and operated capacity in the future. There's enough vendors, uh, they have enough operational history uh, that we can start to rely on them uh, for the vast majority, if not 100% of our, our common nav services in the near domain. Greg Heckler serves as the engineering manager for the Network Services Division of SCAN at NASA headquarters in Washington. He's been working on SCAN's commercialization efforts for a while now, focusing on near space, a region that extends from low Earth orbit, or LEO, out to geosynchronous orbit, some 22,000 miles in altitude, roughly one-tenth the distance to the moon. It's in alignment with NASA's overall strategy, right? We want to try to encourage what we're calling a LEO commercial space environment. Um, we can't do it all ourselves, right? We don't have enough dollars to do that, but we're trying to make key investments, drive dollars uh, into key places to allow this larger ecosystem to, to evolve. The near space region is filled with user missions in a variety of disciplines, ranging from Earth science to astrophysics. The International Space Station flies in low Earth orbit, about 250 miles above Earth. Deep space missions must ascend through this region before their long journeys to destinations like Mars, the asteroid belt, or the outer planets. In the future, what can these missions expect from a commercial communications paradigm? I I think uh, they will have access to more capacity, more capability than in a cheaper way than we could provide ourselves, right? There's enough demand outside of NASA, uh, other government agencies, international space agencies, and even commercial space entities themselves, that we're no longer gonna be the, the anchor tenant or even a, a driving customer. By going and, and bringing uh, those commercial vendors out there into our ecosystem and offering those to our users, they have access to a lot more capacity. This helps mission design, right? The benefits aren't just for missions. 
There's the obvious benefit to the commercial companies developing new capabilities, some of which could be used by consumers. But there's also enormous benefit to the agency. It frees up resources. Significantly for NASA, that means we don't have to carry an operations and maintenance costs from here basically forever <laughs> um, into the future. And so to, to us, it makes a lot of sense. The economics are pushing us in this direction. The technical capability of the vendors are pushing in this direction. There'll be some risk. Uh, we'll see vendors come and go, but I, we, we, we have means of, of addressing those risks while still meeting our obligations to our users. As the commercial marketplace matures, what is NASA's role in space communications? Largely, it remains the same. It's a role the agency has played for decades. We need to be there to drive the market, right? We need to represent the agency on not only what our users do today, but what they want in 5 and 10 and 15 years down the road. We do that inside the agency, and we use that to plan how we evolve our network architecture. The other thing we can do is, is around interoperability and standards. We want to be a champion of uh, emerging, uh, commercially defined standards that we hope we can get enough uh, of these entities together to agree to. NASA, historically, our, our position has been not not to do explicitly what the industry can do, right? We're there to do the new things, the things where it takes government investment to make something happen. So by reducing our focus on operations and maintenance of government systems over time and potentially realizing some cost efficiencies, then we can focus on the things that really excite us. So we really need to be focused on supporting the agency's goals and endeavors in those places where, where it's not a realistic expectation to, to stand up a commercial market. Now, the question remains, how will SCAN help nurture commercial industry to create this competitive environment? What steps is NASA taking to foster this new marketplace? Two NASA centers with over a century of combined space communications experience are leading the effort. At NASA's Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, the SCAN community has long endeavored to advance communications technology, researching innovations like cognitive radios, artificial intelligence, and quantum networking. For the commercialization effort... Well, we're working on uh, the SATCOM piece, so the satellite communications. Eli Nafa serves as the project manager for Glenn's Communications Services Project, or CSP. CSP is a new project in formulation uh, to explore the feasibility of commercial SATCOM services for NASA missions. NASA has embarked on uh, really kind of an evolution to take uh, operations and, and the things that we used to do in low Earth orbit uh, routinely and, and start turning that over to, to the commercial sector. If you look at the evolution of, of the, um, the industry in low Earth orbit, the, the first thing that NASA embarked on was the uh, commercial cargo or the commercial orbital transportation system, uh, which uh, is now you know a, a true market. Uh, you can see uh, the success that we've had with the commercial cargo going to space station, uh, and then the next step was the commercial crew program. And so the the evolution also uh, is now stretching to uh, communications and navigation. 
SATCOM satellites provide space relay services, acting as a conduit for data. They're essentially an intermediary between ground stations and spacecraft. Space relays can provide more coverage than a single ground station. A collection of them can provide near-continuous communications to LEO satellites. These types of services are critical to flagship missions like the space station or the Hubble Space Telescope. So the idea is to eventually prove the feasibility of commercial SATCOM services to to uh, create a market where we can be one of many buyers of those types of services and then eventually divest ourselves of the uh, the infrastructure that, that we currently have, at least in the near-Earth regime. NASA's current SATCOM system is called the Tracking and Data Relay Satellite Constellation, or TDRIS. The last in the third generation of these satellites, TDRIS-13, launched in 2017, replenishing the fleet. The constellation will continue to support users for many years to come, but NASA has no plans to build any more TDRIS satellites of its own. When that system was initially developed, there was only a handful of satellites that were commercial that were flying at that time. That's Thomas Caspiora. He serves as deputy project manager of the Communications Services Project. And that work was done back in the 80s. And actually, some of the development work was really done in the, in the 1970s. And, and so you had a handful of satellites back then. And now there's literally thousands of commercial satellites that are up there. And every day there's more that are being added to it. And ultimately, I think that rather than buying a satellite, now we can go out and actually buy and specify a service. And that's what part of the work that we're trying to take a look at is, is trying to figure out what are those next steps. How can NASA motivate commercial industry to develop the capabilities SCAN needs? What model will they follow? Once again, Eli Nafa. So when you look at uh, what commercial orbital transportation system did, uh, they essentially uh, became investors in a capability. And so that's uh, what we're intending to do. We're um, kind of following the model that they set uh, of really not setting specific requirements, uh, but laying out uh, goals and, and what we're um, interested in uh, buying in the future. There's uh, no real technology development that's required here. Industry is, uh, is pretty mature. Typically, uh, industry right now is serving terrestrial markets. So they, they have a lot of infrastructure for uh, providing uh, common nav solutions for terrestrial users, you know, on the ground, in the air, or at sea. Uh, and so the question is, can they provide those same capabilities or similar capabilities to a spacecraft? The answer, they think, is a resounding yes. The commercial aerospace industry has evolved so much over the decades since NASA launched the first TDRIS satellite. Further, the benefits of embracing industry-developed capabilities are too good to pass up. So it's not just driving the cost down for us uh, and divesting ourselves of, of the infrastructure and having to maintain that, but it's also about uh, improving performance and, and capability eventually. The, the ultimate goal is, is to have an internet in the sky. Uh, when for cell phones first came out, uh, you didn't you didn't want to roam. 
if you left your network, you were uh, going to get hit with a big bill. Uh, and then industry finally figured out that if they built in interoperability into their networks so that a cell phone could easily switch from from one network to another, depending on the location, that it would um, increase the use of cell phones, okay, overall, and increase their market share. And so they they uh, decided uh, to develop commercial interoperability standards. So I think ultimately that's where we would like to be in space is to be able to have the flexibility to roam in space between networks, depending on what would be available. At NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, communications engineers are working with commercial enterprise to develop industry capabilities that could supplement Goddard-managed infrastructure like TDRS and their collection of direct-to-Earth ground stations. Lenitra Tate serves as the Deputy Program Manager for Execution of the Exploration and Space Communications Projects Division, which provides communication services to many NASA missions. Lenitra also serves as the acting chief of the Commercialization, Innovation, and Synergies Office, or CIS. GAN has seen that the market is ready and mature to um, be at the forefront of providing communications and navigation services to uh, users and to customers. And I think um, we see this as an alliance between industry and government with industry leading and NASA really serving as that, um, I'd like to say as a cornerstone to drive standardization and interoperability. Goddard has a long history in space communications and navigation. And you know there's a team that is both strategic and tactical and, and really, um, really poised to, to support this commercialization effort in partnership with SCAN. Goddard and ESC are meeting SCAN's commercialization goals through their newly established Near Space Network Enterprise. This enterprise subsumed a collection of projects that previously provided communications services into three new efforts. CIS garners new entrants into the space communications marketplace. The Near Space Network Project, or NSN, provides services from the marketplace, and helps user missions to develop their communications architectures. The Advanced Communications Capabilities for Exploration and Science Systems Project, or ACCESS, supplies that marketplace with services from NASA's portfolio of government-owned, contractor-operated infrastructure, like TDRS and ground stations worldwide. CIS, the Near Space Network Project and ACCESS, will really change the landscape of how we um, provide communication services. I'm just so excited to be a part of such a great team that we are actively working to define the next 60 years. And how is CIS defining the next 60 years in the near term? We have developed a series of industry engagement activities that really bring about awareness to uh, the uh, to the potential providers 
of how they can join or be a part of the near space network we have sessions like the one link session which is a one hour briefing for industry to hear from us um, then we have an, another session called the uplink session and that's a one hour one-on-one -on -one session where industry can can talk about their capabilities directly with our subject matter experts within the near space network then we have these really engaging activities called the beam uh, session which is really a bridging potential providers with uh, users and another type of activity that we're looking at is called a amplifier um, so the amplifier session is is a one-day workshop where we we work and we engage with small startups or entrepreneurs one that is probably very exciting is we call ignite the flight um, and this is a pitch competition um, it's going to run twice a year and it's really our way of looking for disruptive future common nav capabilities. Those are just a few things that we're doing on the industry side. And then we'll, we're also planning of how we proactively engage on the mission side. But what does Lenitra think these markets will look like? She echoed many of the sentiments of her colleagues at Glenn Research Center and NASA headquarters. I think the marketplace looks like an environment that sees partnerships really with a shared vision and an opportunity to promote cost-effective solutions. I see a marketplace that has a common set of standards. I think another area is a firm commitment on how we approach an IT security. You know, as we move into more cloud services, we move more into co-location of RF equipment, sharing of equipment, you know, there has to be an assessment of security protocols and resiliency. NASA can't do it by ourselves and industry can't do it by themselves, but a shared collaboration and a shared vision of being able to, um, um, identify challenges, overcome the challenges. And I think that's how um, I see the, the future marketplace. Establishing this future marketplace takes all of the agency's communications and navigation community working together towards SCAN's shared vision. I think the combination between SCAN and Goddard and JPL and Glenn Research Center really offers a great collaboration of NASA as a whole, really working with industry as a whole to really define the next 60 years of communications and navigation services. It's hard to express the immense importance of these commercialization activities. While the commercial crew program has garnered a lot of interest from the public, SCAN's game-changing efforts to establish a commercial marketplace are mostly celebrated by those directly involved. As the name of this podcast reminds us, mission-enabling infrastructure is often invisible, unnoticed because it works so well. Recently, I watched the Perseverance rover touch down on the surface of Mars. Mission updates from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California excited millions around the world. 
They tuned in to see and hear the strange sights and sounds of the Red Planet. Behind the scenes, communications and navigation professionals enabled Perseverance's gentle touchdown on the Martian surface and the transmission of these incredible pieces of media. Scan is a key part of every mission, but is not well known in the agency. Uh, we're an enabling organization. We don't get the, the, the tweets and the YouTube views like uh, Perseverance. But, but that video, that video that we all watched the other day, we would not have been able to deliver those images back to the Earth without scan and uh, communications and navigation capabilities and capacity we give to the agency. This commercialization-focused season of The Invisible Network debuted in May of 2021. Our next season will focus on the laser communications relay demonstration and debut after the launch of the mission later this year. The podcast is produced by the Space Communications and Navigation Program, or SCAN, out of Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Episodes were written and recorded by me, Danny Baird, with editorial support from Katherine Schauer. Our public affairs officers are Laura Bleacher of Goddard's Office of Communications and Catherine Hambleton of the Human Exploration and Operations Mission Directorate. Special thanks to Barbara Addy, SCAN Policy and Strategic Communications Director, Rob Garner, Goddard Web Team Lead, and all those who have lent their time, talent, and expertise to making the Invisible Network a reality. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. For transcripts of the episodes, visit nasa.gov invisible. To learn more about the vital role that space communications plays in NASA's mission, visit nasa.gov scan. And for more podcast offerings, visit nasa.gov podcasts.